The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Baseball News Podcast here on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm Tim Jackson with TC Zenka, and we are in the championship series for each respective league, TC. Uh, can you believe that? And do you have a rooting interest left? Not at all. I can believe that we're here. I <laughs> am almost, I mean, I'm not surprised at all that none of the teams that I like are anywhere close to being still in, in this thing. So I'm, I'm rooting mostly for, I find myself rooting mostly on a night, nightly basis for more baseball. So I just kind of root for whoever's down to tie it up. Then when the other team goes down, I root for them to tie it up again. Whichever team is down in the series, I want them to win until they're up in the series. Then I want them to lose. So I, I really don't <laughs> care. I mean, I like Kyle Schwarber. So maybe I like the Red Sox. You know, I like some of the, I like the Dodgers. So this is how, you know, I really have no rooting interest. My biggest reason for liking any team is the Dodgers because Mark Pryor is their pitching coach. <laughs> when, you, when you find yourself rooting for a pitching coach, you know that you really don't care much for any of the teams that are still in it. Uh, so yeah, no, I do not. I do not like these teams. How how do you feel? Do you have? Do you feel strongly about any one of them? Uh, strongly in a positive way, not especially. <laughs> uh, I think they're all like it's fun. To, there are certain players to root for at this point, like. It's hard not to like Freddie Freeman. It's hard not to like Ozzy Albies. Uh, it's hard not to like uh, Enrique Hernandez. But by and large, each team has like one big reason where it's just I'm ready to be over them and, and kind of sick of them. Uh, even like Scherzer is great out in L.A. And then it's like also the Dodgers. Like you just won. You're always here. That's the thing is these teams uh, have all been there. Like there's yeah. not there's not like yeah. a fun, you know, underdog in the bunch. Like. These are the these are the teams that have been in the World Series the last three years. Like the Nationals aren't here, but otherwise all the teams are there. Like, yeah, and we uh, you know they totally blew up our picks because we looked for some excitement uh, <laughs> at least. I looked for a lot of excitement with almost oh, man, none we of these horrible. teams around. Uh, think- so it's not even worth naming the specifics. We were just really bad at them because they're a coin flip, and we wanted like you're saying more baseball with more chaos and. What we're getting is chaos. I don't know about the more baseball part yet. Hey, I still uh, got my Dodgers World Series pick alive. That's yeah, that's true. You do, um, which is just absolutely thrilling to see the Dodgers here for the twelfth year in a row. Uh, <laughs> hey, wild card team, love to see wild card team. Oh underdog yeah, wild, underdog wild card team. Big swing in how baseball teams are structuring themselves based on the Dodgers pulling away in the wild card slot. Uh, You know, really, we do have some narratives building at this time of year. And especially with just four teams left, we are well past the point where we're looking at sample size. We are strictly in a matter of moments, and I love it. It's one of my favorite parts of the season, no matter what's really happening. So all four teams left. We've got L.A., Atlanta, Boston, and Houston. And all four teams left have... At least a couple of really, really interesting narratives. Uh, why don't we start with those Dodgers, TC, and just get right into it with their pitching management because it has been buck wild. Yeah, I mean, it's coming into the playoffs, I did not think that the Dodgers were short of on starting pitching. But all of a sudden, that seems to be exactly where they are, and mostly because Dave Roberts has decided that all of his, that he doesn't trust any of his relievers. And he's, you know, gone to his starters and relief right away. I mean, 
I think going to Max to close out the uh, uh, the you know the DS was defensible to get that save, first ever career save for Max Scherzer. It was pretty cool. I do not understand going to Jose Urias in uh, in relief the other day, which ended up ended up in a loss. He gave up those those hits and like the strategy of, of going to a guy in his throat. I I totally understand that it makes sense. Oh, he's going to throw a couple pitches anyways. Might as well use those bullets in the game. That strategy makes sense when you're in a real position of need. But I think that we've seen from years past that, it, that it's not exactly the same thing as throwing, as, you know, coming into pitch no. the beginning of a playoff game is not the same thing as making the 20 pitches of, of your throw day. And so, like, yeah, if you want to go to those guys, like, you know, the Nats obviously made this, made this kind of strategy famous in 2019, but it worked for them. I just don't feel like the Dodgers needed to go to it at this point. And I think that they would have been better off that they would, that the Dodgers would have been better off just saving Urias and going to him as a regular starter, being able to really ride him when the time came. I mean, we'll see. It is Wednesday night right now. The Dodgers game has not yet started. We will see how late Urias, how deep into this game Urias is able to go. Scherzer was not able to go deep into game two, and he talked about having a dead arm, that he was dead. And, you know, you do not get Max Scherzer saying very often that he was right to be taken out of the game in the fifth inning. And yeah. that's exactly what happened on Tuesday. And, and, you know, we are not – I know we're in the championship series, there's four teams, but there's a lot of time left. We're not in the World Series yet. You got a lot of – a lot of games you still got to win. And I'm not sure that the Dodgers strategy right now is going to get him, get him all the way through it. Well, it feels like a little bit like the NBA. We, we've mentioned parallels with the NBA before. And one of them with the NBA was that their playoffs were really a matter of which team has the least devastating injury. And it's not that baseball players are injured right now, but Max Scherzer is not necessarily copying to dead arm in the middle of the championship series in any given year, right? Like, this is an odd year, even for the veteran guys, even among the Dodgers or or really Atlanta. They have both used relievers who are like 30 or over. They, they've taken the bulk of the innings, which is really interesting, I think. Uh, but they're, the old guys have been leaned on all season, all season. And like you're saying with uh, Arias and throwing on what was really his side day, it is a big difference because it's one of those things we can't measure, but we know is real at this point that the stress of a pitch is different in different settings that when you come into to a championship series game uh, or a divisional series game, instead of, you know, just throwing a bullpen on the side, way different atmosphere, probably way different feeling, way different amount of adrenaline, which can impact how hard you're throwing and impact mechanics, all sorts of things. So it, it's, it's definitely something we should note that isn't necessarily quantifiable, at least in a public way that I think we would ever get. I don't think teams would ever, would ever have a like biometric data out there no. uh, for for ve- various trap reasons, but uh, it's it's a big deal. And like you're saying, these things have mattered. Um, it, it was written up by Craig Goldstein at BP in terms of where do you want to start? Um, you know, the eighth inning where Game Four schedule starter in Uri- and Urias was brought in from the bullpen. Had to face three guys. He gave up big hits. Scherzer closed out Game Five. So you're you. I'm just reminded of like robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? Like you can't keep yeah. pulling guys from the rotation for important innings because the innings they're supposed to throw as starters are also really, really critical. Yes, exactly. Like you need those innings later on. And it's, it is a huge deal in these short series, which, you know, ultimately are even the seven game series is still a relatively short series in a short amount of time. You know, you got to go, you can have three games back to back to back in the middle of the series. And you need relievers fresh for that time. And so if you can have, you know, Urias going, pitching six, seven innings in game four, right in the middle of that stretch, that is huge. And I think that's much bigger than having him get those three outs. I mean, I know it was game two and you're down one, but it's a seven game series. You're up four to two at that point. You know, you won 106 games this year and you didn't win them by throwing Urias in the eighth inning. I just don't <laughs> see how they didn't have somebody else that they could. I know there's the lefty hitters and there was that whole thing and, and they're, the Dodgers aren't as strong from the left side of the bullpen. But I just feel like for me, it was too early in the series to make that kind of desperation move. And, you know, it's easy in retrospect to say to say so because he got hit. But I do think that there is there is definitely an element, as you're saying, of robbing Peter to pay Paul here. And, and it's, you know. 
again, it's just early in the series. And especially having just seen what happened with Max in that same game. I mean, I, I think using Max in game five, I think made sense. I'm, I can get behind that. But they saw the toll it took on him in game two. So to turn right around later in that same game and go to Urias. And it's not like they're going to him for, you know, a big stretch. It was, they just wanted him to be their setup guy. And to me, there's, there's not enough upside there. I think you, you, you know, you try to mix and match and you go with your best two relievers. You had Trinan out there. You had Joe Kelly. You could have gone to, you had a number of guys that were fresh. And who haven't thrown a lot of pitches when they've been in there. So you're, you're fully gassing these guys up to warm up in the bullpen. And then you're bringing them in and they're throwing nine, 11, 13, 17 pitches, not a big workload for a reliever when they could probably get another, at least another out out of them in the next inning. Right. Of, yes, exactly. And that's what those guys are there for. If you can't use them, then when are you going to be able to use them? I mean, you only have a couple of starters. I mean, Walker Bueller has not been at his best and that's hurt them. But to me, it's like, you know, you know, with Kershaw out, you really have Scherzer, Urias, and Bueller are your horses. Those are the three guys that ex- that you expect to get you to the World Series. So they need to soak up those big-time innings starting. You already have burned Scherzer a little bit such that you know he's tired. So you really ha- got to use Urias as a starter. Dude was one of the best starters in baseball. He won 20 game, only 20 game winner. Not that that matters, but, you know, it kind of yeah. does. It's cool. And, you know, well, and we, know, being I think in we talked about lot. it at one point that. Uh, yeah. And, and that's that's it. Like, it's not a matter of that. He won 20 games. It's a matter that he tweaked his breaking balls. So they were sharper and they, he kind of condensed them to make them more lethal uh, instead of the curveball slider that got slurvy. He just leaned into the middle ground that that really worked. So, yeah. And it, it's just it's a weird thing to consider right now at one point Dave Roberts was asked about his usage uh and he said he only gets one vote speaking to the collaborative nature of front offices and managers at this point uh in both just in the history of the game but I guess also at this point in the 2021 season really interesting thing to watch I guess uh, on the the other side is that the Dodgers did win one last night so by the time you all hear this it's two nights ago and we're waiting to see what happens in the meantime but they did win one and so they're down 2-1, and it was in large part because, not because they almost won the previous two games, which they did, which is kind of crazy given how they were managed, but Mookie Betts was Mookie Betts, right? Like, just wild. He, one of the most aesthetically pleasing uh, players to watch because of the way he can make contact, and he came up big again in Game 3. He's so fluid. He's such an amazing athlete. It is just insane to watch him. Like, the fact that he generates so much power from that frame is just... I mean, it does. It makes you rethink. It has made us the way we think about baseball. Like for hundreds of years, we thought you had to be the six four to hit home runs, and now you know it's Mookie Betts and Altuve and Bregman. Like they've changed changed the game here, and Betts is the best relevant player in baseball, and has been kind of for a while, right? I mean, Trout is obviously still the best player, or has been when he's healthy, but. Betts has been the guy center stage and he has been the clear number two for a while now. And he has shown up in all of these big moments. He's been, I mean, the fact that the dude has won, won multiple playoff games with his base running alone is just speaks to his talent and the ways that he can, ways that he can affect the ball game. And it's that kind of like multifaceted, you know, dynamic approach that really that is huge in the playoffs when you need to find different ways to score and you need to find, it's not just going to be all home runs from your power guy. So, you know, would I have taken Mookie Betts over Jesse Chavez a hundred times out of a hundred? Absolutely. <laughs> like, yes, absolutely. But I would have taken Mookie Betts over whoever was pitching in that spot. I mean, <laughs> you mentioned Chavez. Spot. Yeah, I, I thought I followed the league pretty closely this year. And then I saw Jesse Chavez throwing, Big time innings in the playoffs, yeah. and I was like, "Wait, that Jesse Chavez?" I know, I know. I was like, I, I could not believe it. I was saying to my to my wife, I was like, "This guy, you don't understand how amazing it is that this guy is throwing major <laughs> innings in the playoffs. Like, this is what makes baseball insane. This dude is not a dude. Like, he is no. down very far down the list. Like two years ago, when he was thirty four, the Cubs picked him up off the scrap heap, and he was just soaking up innings in their bullpen." That's been his role for a few years now, and now he's pitching big-time innings. I mean, talk about you know a tale of two teams here. The Braves 
they really should have gone to their starters. <laughs> Luke Jackson gets hit. Who's going to Jesse Chavez? Like, who else you got out there? Who can we pull in? Charlie Morton, where are you at? Bring it, bring you into this game here. I mean, not really, because I do believe in the, in the user relievers. And the fact that Jackson got beat by uh, Bellinger is kind of amazing, given the pitch that Bellinger hit. But Well, that's that's a really good note to make, too, because it does kind of blend in the two teams and, and the narratives that are driving them right now. Cody Bellinger has stunk on ice this year. He's been brutal. Um one of the worst I, players I, in baseball. One of the worst players in baseball, absolutely. Uh, an MVP just a couple of years ago. And I, I think it's just inevitable that he's hurt and he's going to have to have like a full normal offseason to get healthy. But that pitch he turned on, it was a fastball. People were saying Jackson didn't have the slider. They didn't know why he'd been left in. Uh, Bellinger hasn't been able to hit a fastball out like that in over a calendar year because it was above the zone. But he turned on that thing so fast. And it's almost like he didn't believe it. If, if you go back and watch this play, he looks at it the whole way out of the park, like just to make sure, like, wait, that felt like a homer, but I don't know what a homer feels like right now. I need to make sure this gets out. Yeah, well, the pitch before was another fastball that was actually an actual strike, whereas this pitch was like a foot, you know, out of the strike zone yeah. up. And and he looked late on it. I remember seeing the pitch and thinking, oh, man, Bellinger, dude, cannot hit a fastball. He's, he's got no shot against this against Jackson right now. Jackson just keeps throwing heat. And that was the story from his home run in the previous round that it was, he hit the homer off a slider. And then, then he just did it. He just crushed it. And I, he just I don't know did how to, it. I don't know how to explain it because the pitch before he looked like he had no shot and the pitch he hit was nowhere close to the strike zone, but it, well, like you're saying, it's one just come through. It's one of those things that just doesn't make sense, and yet here it is. And, and you know, the, the the paradox is the fun part of baseball, or the funnest part. Uh, and I think it was, you know, Saris a couple of years ago wrote on Bellinger about how he had really two swings, how he had uh, one swing for certain types of pitches and another for pitches elsewhere in the zone uh, for different types of contact to kind of, again, close the gaps in his game. And uh, certainly something that he hasn't necessarily gotten away from. Maybe he's just not been able to get to as much. Uh, and he got to it, and that was that was amazing. Even Atlanta with their bullpen, they've really leaned on just a few guys. It's it's who? It's Will Smith. It's Luke Jackson. It's uh, oh my goodness, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, they've leaned on three guys, and I can't remember the third one, but nonetheless, Minter, right? Yeah, Angel Minter, yeah, yeah, and Tyler uh, Matic. They've gone to Matic. Uh, I confuse uh, Mincer and Magic all the time. Uh, but ultimately, they're leaning on these three guys who have been around a while, who are, who are pretty much older. Like, you don't have any stud young reliever or any top young pitching prospect taking major innings for these teams right now. They are really leaning on guys who have been around. And uh, Max Fried and Charlie Morton have been a big part of that for them in terms of the rotation. But they've also got, like, Freddie Freeman skidding. And, like, pretty much every trade deadline acquisition they've made is still playing... Like it's three years ago at this point. I, it's ridiculous. Yeah, all the trade acquisitions, trade deadline acquisitions are absolutely panning out. And the thing that I can't, Adam Duvall is the one I keep looking at because this is one of the trends of this postseason. It's the trend that I've, that I've noticed in this postseason that is different from years past. We all of a sudden do not care about center fielders anymore. Center fielders, I guess, don't exist. We just play, we play anybody in center field. It's Chris Bryant, it's Adam Duvall, it's Gavin Lux. Like we don't have a true center fielder in the bunch. And it's just, it's it's this kind of amazing market advantage. I mean, if you can play Adam Duvall in center, why haven't we been playing Adam Duvall in center? If you can play Chris Bryant in center field, Cubs, what are you doing? Why weren't you playing them in center field? There are no good center fielders in baseball. Yeah, if you can get away with these guys, play these guys in center. And Duvall, you know, has not been hitting much, but he's been holding his own in center. I would love to see kind of the defensive metrics on these guys. Because on the one hand, it feels like a real gamble. And we saw that with Lux you know, Gavin Lux, you know, botching the fly ball the other day uh, that led to many, many runs, but they needed outfielders. There aren't any center fielders. So he's got a bunch of corner guys and they're just playing all of them. You know, Peterson has played some center field, but it's mostly been Duvall now. And, and Peterson has been, has gotten the big hits, but, you know, even just being able to play Duvall in center is a big advantage for them. And Rosario also has had some big hits this, this series. Well, and Rosario had a walk-off the other day, right? Like, Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall, it, 
like Adam Duvall had 38 homers and 113 RBI in the regular season, and he finished with under two and a half wins worth of value by Fangraphs. That that, that is insane. Like those yeah. are those are numbers that are hard to replicate. That's like DH numbers who doesn't play the field, but Duvall did. I uh, was basically, a, a, you know, a, a negative, a net negative there. Uh, and, and they are just like a bonkers team. I can't believe, uh, like, Jack Peterson has hit the longest homer of the, the postseason so far, right? He had a, was it a 452-foot homer, uh, him and his pearl necklace. And he's just oh, yeah, like, I just like pearls, pearl necklaces. Sure. Yeah. It's definitely because of the, uh, those pearls. <laughs> it's like his uh, modern day, what was it, uh, fight in necklace? <laughs> fight on yeah. or whatever it was. I mean, Jack Peterson... Is a couple of things. First of all, he is is the best nickname. Jocktober is amazing. The fact that we've been calling him Jocktober for years, even ironically, is kind of a bummer. And then he's also just the most ridiculous looking person in baseball. I mean, that blonde, that that bleached blonde hair, <laughs> those pearl, that pearl necklace. Like, I would love to meet this dude and just be like, 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 who is who is this guy? Who is this guy that wears that necklace and bleaches his hair? He just he just seems actually absolutely absurd. But he said monster. He said big time hits. He said, I mean, that first round, obviously those pinch hits were huge. And it's it's kind of mind boggling that he continues to be uh, just kind of a, a really key figure for the Braves that even without Soler, that even without Soler, they still have enough trade deadline and acquisition outfielders to fill out their outfield. But I don't know. The, the Braves are, I don't know that we feel great about them right now. I mean, they absolutely needed to get that game one. Because of because they had freed on the hill and they were at home and the Dodgers were kind of throwing it away with the bullpen game. They barely got it. They barely scraped away with game two. Then game three, they, they blow it in kind of devastating fashion. And they've you know been down this road before with the Dodgers losing three to one. So you feel actually pretty good that Freddie Freeman's been so god awful because it doesn't feel like he can be this bad for seven games. And the fact that they've gotten two wins without him really producing much. Yeah. Well, and, kind of and it's almost out. like it's almost like uh, he's he's the Cody Bellinger for the Dodgers in this series. Ne- not nearly as extreme, right? Like Freeman had it, still had a really good season, but he's not playing well. And like you're saying, they're getting wins because of guys uh, like like Duvall and Rosario and Riley and Peterson, guys who have in some way, shape, or form stepped up, if not broken out. Like Austin Riley's 24. We have to wonder if this is the kind of guy he can keep being. Uh, but otherwise, it's not like you're looking at any of these guys as long-term pieces. So this is like, it, it, I don't know, it, is Atlanta's run here? Like, let's just see what we can get here because we don't know what it'll look like if we get back? A little bit. I mean, but it's also just riding the pitching. I mean, Max Fried and Charlie Morton are a really strong one and two. Max Fried had an insane year. I mean, he had a really, really good season, a really good second half, and he's been good so far in the postseason. I mean, this is kind of... This is what we thought their formula would be five years ago when they had all these young pitchers coming up and, and, and we were all talking about how strong the Atlanta farm system was with arms. And, you know, a lot of them haven't really panned out, but Freed has. Morton looks great. Ian Anderson isn't exactly on their level yet, but he's been solid. You know, they got uh, Noah going tonight, I think. He got sc- scratched with shoulder inflammations. So you know it's not starting tonight. Yeah. Is it, is it Smiley? Uh, it is. Let's see. I was just looking at this. Um it's gonna be it's gonna be Jesse Chavez. <laughs> no, really? Yeah, he's gonna be Mark Bowman uh tweeted out that Inoa's been scratched with shoulder inflammation and Chavez will be today's opener. So I guess we're getting a bullpen game from a team that really uh, probably can't afford it because they don't have the depth like some of these other teams left do. Wow, Jesse Chavez getting a playoff start. Amazing. I'm curious to see how long he goes. I mean, I have to think you're just desperately hoping he gets to that first inning. Because you do have right-handers. So Chavez, you have him going against Betts and, Betts and Turner's. And then you got Seager sandwiched in there. But I don't know if Justin Turner's back yet. Is he back in the lineup? Because that's one of the stories that we missed on the Dodgers side is Justin Turner's been hurt, and he was out in Game Three, and he has not been hitting when he's been in there. Yeah, and it's it's really kind of wild to see him get uh, basically kind of benched, like hurt or not. Like he's he's not really been one of their main options at this point, which is a really really bizarre type of thing to process. And uh, you know, looking at the lineups or or at least the probable lineups as of right now, Turner is in, and 
probably hitting on the middle of the order, like you're saying, behind uh, Turner and Seager. Uh, and yeah, who who knows? It's gonna be it's gonna be a man. What a weird game! To I'm think just that, shaking my head. I keep thinking of the NBA thing. Like, who survives? I know because if you would have told me at any point during the season that the, the Braves would like voluntarily send Jesse Chavez up against <laughs> Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Trey Turner, Will Smith in the postseason, I, I would have said you're crazy. I would have said, okay, there. So the Dodgers, the Braves have like you know given up. Like what? Are, like. At what point in the game do you feel okay about Jesse Chavez taking on that lineup? But I don't know. I guess you trust the veteran to keep his cool out there, and and you just kind of do. I'm surprised that they're not going with Drew Smiley, but maybe they don't trust Smiley against all these, you know, mostly right-handers. But or maybe they go with Smiley eventually to soak up some innings in the in the middle innings. There, I, I yeah, don't know. Maybe they I'm wait surprising. for a spot, uh, maybe a more leveraged spot with like Bellinger and Seager coming up in the inning. Because uh, the only other lefty in the lineup would be Gavin Lux, who has not really been a phenomenal player just yet. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about the Dodgers in terms of almost being like a walking wounded, and really a lot of these teams being a walking wounded. But if you look at their lineup, it's still incredible, and I guess that's the hard part to balance. Like, even when you are talking earlier, you know, for a team that's uh, won 106 games to be in this position, it's like, well, they, to, have done it, what, to have done what they did in the regular season – with the injuries they sustained, is just ridiculous. Uh, DRC plus is is BP's equivalent to WRC plus, and it's a little more conservative. So when you see higher numbers, it means it's probably a little more significant. Uh, so Cody Bellinger, Chris Taylor, Gavin Lux, DRC pluses of 68, 96, 89, 100 is the league average. So they're all below average for the season. Everybody else in the lineup, 120 or better. Trey Turner, uh, Corey Seager, Justin Turner, Will Smith, Mookie Betts, and AJ Pollock, all 120 or better, which is just like, like you're saying, I guess, I guess we hope Jesse Chavez just maintains his cool for an inning here, because if he does, that could be a huge win against a lineup this good. Yeah, but you still got to get through that lineup three times. I mean, that lineup is so yeah. good. That's the thing is like, even the fact that they, I mean, on the one hand, you could look at game three and say, man, the Dodgers almost lost. They were four outs from being down three Oh, but on the other hand, I just feel like, yeah, but they found a way and like this God, this team's so good. They're so stacked. And I just know, know that the Braves have that kind of depth. I mean, even like their lineup, even if the Dodgers are, end up an arm or two short, they can survive this lineup. The Braves haven't ripped the cover off the ball. They've gotten some key hits from these guys yeah. that we've been talking about, but it's not like the, you know, this isn't a Kike Hernandez situation. Like they've had right. some key hits, but they haven't been, you know, uh, nobody is off on the ball or anything. Like, yeah, nobody is like a basically just a flame in the shape of a human right now, like like Hernandez. Right. I mean, I think for the Braves, the narrative moving forward is like it's got to be, you know, Albies, Freeman, Austin, and Austin Riley. You got to see what the, what that trio has. Austin Riley has stepped into Acuna's spot as the third big bat there. And those three really have to produce. And otherwise, you know, they got to win two games. If you're the Braves, you're feeling like we we have Max Freed and we have Charlie Morton ready to start two more games. They're going to start games five and game seven. That's all we need. We need those two wins. We win those two days. That's all that matters. And when you have those, that can be enough in a postseason series. You have two dominant starters. You win their starts and you're done. That's all you have to do. So, if the if the Dodgers can somehow steal a game from Max Fried, I mean that's what they're going to have to do to win this series. I think because for for me and for the Dodgers, I think or for the Braves, that's that's the narrative is like you have clutch hitting, just enough hitting where you can get it, and then you ride Fried and, and Morton. And those guys just have to hit. Well, and by hit I right. mean pitch. <laughs> yeah, well, and that that's it. That's that, that's like the very bare bones things that absolutely need to need to happen for that team for Atlanta, but. Uh, you're talking about the pitching and and what they can survive and how they'll work around it. So let me ask you this. Right now, as as we're talking, the ALCS is in Game 5. The Houston Astros are also up against it in terms of pitching depth. Um, And nonetheless, they're up 1-0 in the middle of that game. Do they have enough to survive? Do they have even less pitching than Atlanta? 
Um, I actually, I don't know that they do have less pitching than a, than Atlanta. I mean, they might have less, well, they have less pitching than Atlanta. Yes. Cause Atlanta has the horses and, and, you know, Houston doesn't have that. Losing McCullers is is huge for Houston. I mean, Lance McCullers does not get the credit that he deserves because he's not a big uh, inning volume guy and because he was behind in the rotation, you know, behind Verlander, behind Grinky all these years. But Verlander, or but McCullers is absolutely an ace when it comes to the playoffs. And he has been a, a huge, huge arm for them. And to lose him right now is really a bummer because now they're just relying on some younger guys. And Valdez has had his moments and he's out there tonight. Um, but he's kind of their their ace now, and I actually like the Dodger, the uh, Astros bullpen. They have some pieces there uh, with with Kendall Graveman and Ryan Presley, like they ha- and they have some kind of depth innings guys in terms of uh, you know Christian Javier who did it yesterday. Uh, you know Graveman gave him two innings yesterday, so I don't know how often you can rely on those guys. You know Grinky gave him an inning and a third in a start, so I don't know. You know Grinky's hasn't really been worked back up to major volume, so I don't know when how often we're going to see him exactly. You know, I don't have a lot of faith in a guy like Brooks Raley, but he's going to have to give him innings. The thing about the Astros is you just got to, you know, you can't give up 12. This is true. You can't give up 12. <laughs> but you have an incredible offense and who can score runs in bunches and who will. Like, of all the guys left, you know, if, if I want – if you have one at bat in the playoffs of, of the players who are left, like – my first pick is Mookie Betts. I want Mookie Betts to the plate. After that, there's probably like three Astros, maybe four, maybe <laughs> Michael Brantley, because he's he's been clutch. He's been there a bunch. But, you, you know, you'd go with El Tuve and you'd go with Correa. You might even go with Jordan Alvarez. Like, well, Alvarez is who did it today, right? Alvarez went deep today. And, and you know, Yuli Gurriel is the guy you trust. And, you know, I would put my money on Martin Maldonado being the light-hitting catcher who unexpectedly hits a, hits a big-time home run. You already have one of those in Christian Vasquez. Right. Vasquez was the guy. I thought it was going to be Maldonado, but, but then the Astros came back and they had it with Jason Castro. RBI single started that big rally. So the Astros absolutely had the line. And that's the thing about this time of year. That's so interesting is, you know, all year we talk about this team and, and having one aspect of the game that you are elite in is huge now. Cause the, the, the Astros, you know, they don't have the best pitching staff, but they don't need to have the best pitching staff. They need to have, a slightly better pitching staff than the Red Sox. And I don't know. I don't think they do, but they might have, they might be close enough considering that, that offense. And I like the Astros off as, as good as the Red Sox have been offensively. And they've been insane. The Astros still had the better offense of the two. Yeah, they, they do. Uh, and even that's a going back through the season. I mean, they talked about DRC plus with the Dodgers uh, they had the Astros is they're right there. Well, they had the best offense in baseball this year. They reached the least out of any team. They made the most contact in this zone. And that means the likes of like rubber arm, Nathan Eovaldi and whomever else, you know, like Chris Sale and whomever else that the, the Red Sox are throwing out really have to be careful with the pitches that they leave in the zone because those are the ones that these Astros know how to really do damage with. It is an extremely deep lineup. The best hitter hits down in the seven or eight spot a lot of the times. And Kyle Tucker, in terms of rate stats this year, right? Like that is that is an, an just plain insane story because of the way they've used him to. Uh, Owen McGratton wrote about this at Fangraphs, where they've used Tucker almost to have two lineups instead of one, right? Like a series of four or five guys, and then the rest of the lineup and turn it over that way because of how effective he's been. And like that's that's a tool that not I don't think any other lineup, even the Dodgers, has to be able to to add that dimension to their lineup any given night. And then their worst hitter is I don't know Chaz McCormick, who is like maybe a center fielder. Yeah, I mean everyone is maybe a center fielder. <laughs> There's not a player on the roster. That's I just not meant maybe more so anymore. than maybe like Gavin Lux or Adam Duvall. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is maybe is an actual center field. And the Astros somehow now kind of have two center fielders. What's the other kid's name who's been pretty good? Jake Myers. Yeah, he actually so, just had uh, an injury setback announced oh, today, I think. That's too bad. But McCormick's been pretty good. I mean, you know, coming into the season, this looks like the real weak point for the Astros, right? Because, oh, you know, they don't have George Spring anymore. You're going with Miles Straw, who feels like, oh, you know, this is not this is a two-warp guy at best. Yeah. They end up moving on from Straw pretty quick. But McCormick has looked really pretty good, and Myers did before him. But... McCormick's fine. He's really, if he's your, I mean, he's your eight hitter. So you're okay with him there. And he's actually done pretty well. 
you're giving up Maldonado spot in the order for the most part, but you know, because that the rest of that offense is so strong, you can you can absolutely get by with it. And there is a certain element of like, you know, do you guys relax a little bit when McCormick gets up there? Does that give him a little bit of an advantage when he's Oh, I love that. Because he's not the guy that everyone's like, you know, getting up for you. This lineup just works you. And I mean you could see it in that inning with Eovaldi in game three. Like Evaldi, he was grunting, it was tough. He was, but he was reaching back, he was throwing hundred miles an hour. But every pitch was on was on, you know, the razor's edge. Like it was as good as his stuff was. The Astros just worked him and they just made him throw pitch after pitch after pitch. Didn't get a couple of calls. A couple of calls didn't go his way. They probably should have. And then eventually they got to him. And, you know, when Cora eventually pulled him, I felt like it was the right call because at that point it was three to two. Bases were loaded, but it felt like Eovaldi was worked, and, it, and I didn't trust him going after going after Brantley. It felt like he's nibbling around the corners. Even though he's throwing 100 miles an hour, he's still kind of nibbling around the corners a little bit, and because he's not getting these calls, he's. I feel like he was feeling like he had a challenge in a way that he did, didn't necessarily want to. I mean, obviously, they didn't work out, and I don't love the idea of going to Martin Perez at any key moment in a game. And I was, I guess I was a little bit surprised that that happened, but, um, and, and Brantley tagged him appropriately and then it, you know, went completely downhill from there. But the, that's what the Astros lineup will do to you. They just like, they're just going to keep working you. And I think for them, that's absolutely the storyline is, you know, can the pitching hold the line and can, does Garcia come back? Like what's the health status really? Cause you like Framber Valdez and whatever game he goes, you're, you're good there. I don't know who's going to go those other games. You know, like who are their starters now? If Garcia is not healthy enough to go, that's yeah, that's, and it's really kind of a, a volume point with the Astros. It, it is, and that's why it it really does seem to turn a light onto the lineup because you know it's it's really interesting with Eovaldi. You're saying he's he's throwing absolute gas, 100 miles an hour, but it's like he's nibbling and. You know, we're at a point where we know velocity doesn't necessarily mean as much as it did even five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago for sure. Because guys throwing hard doesn't necessarily matter if they can't get it over the plate or if they can't miss bats with it, right? And you can't, like the average fastball this postseason is 95 miles an hour. So guys are, one, used to it, and two, in particular in Houston, really, really capable. They've got... Mention the DRC plus. They mentioned they have uh, most of their lineup is under twenty percent, six hitters in terms of K percentage, and their walk rates. They have three guys at or over eleven percent, and three guys just under ten percent. Incredible, incredible rates that you just do not see throughout baseball, let alone on one team. And that's why that's that's why they're so important. Because, like you're saying, where does the length come from? Jose Arquiti just got lit up the other night. Zach Greinke got pulled very quickly uh, in his start. We don't know the health status of Garcia. And and you're like, who's who's left? Like, uh, who who's taking the length? Jake Odorizzi got knocked around when he was in there. Like, at some point, are, are they, you know, if they reach the end of the series and they need innings, how heavily could they lean on a guy like Christian Javier? I, I wonder... We talked about coin flips a couple of weeks ago, and was it worth it for teams? Like, what's the coin flip for the Astros? Who who are they going to in that moment in the pitching side? I I do think they're going to lean on Javier a, a fair amount. I think Jake Odorizzi likely ends up getting a start. I think he probably takes the you know Luis Garcia spot. I mean, Odorizzi talked about how you know he's not a guy who who's capable of just kind of coming in in relief the way he did. I mean it was kind of a joke the way he took 20 minutes to warm up in the middle of this playoff game. Cause he was coming in for the injury, but he said afterwards, you know, I, I usually take 30, I thought 30 minutes was the most least amount of time I would need to get warm. And, you know, I got <laughs> warm and less than that gave up a grand slam did not go well, but I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that Odorizzi gives them a five inning start. That's passable in, in, you know, we're in game five now. He could give you, he might be your starter in game six, as amazing as that is. But after Valdez, I mean, that's why this game five is so key for the Astros because, yeah, you just don't have, I mean, you, you're going to get a couple innings out of Javier. You're going to lean on Presley and you're going to lean on Graveman. But otherwise, you're going to, you know, Yimi Garcia, Brooks Raley, Ryan Stanek. Ryan Stanek has gotten lit up a bit. 
uh, Phil Maton has been pretty good, I guess. But like these aren't guys that you feel real comfortable going to. Blake Taylor is the lefty, uh, along with Brooks Raley. So I mean, there are guys you feel real comfortable with. The thing about the Red Sox, though, or you know, I just don't know that the Red Sox lineup is quite as good as it's been. Like it's been insane. And, you know, they yeah. blew past the Rays. But I think the the Astros, like, if they can get some length out of somebody, they could survive this lineup at stretches. But, the, you know, the top five of the Red Sox lineup is is good enough that they're going to give up end up giving up some runs because they just don't have the – Astros just don't have the guys who are going to be able to soak up the innings. Like, Grinky's going to have to give them more time. Javier's going to have to give them more time. But, you know, I don't know who their game six and game seven starters are. Yeah, I – and, and they're really interesting. You're talking about the Red Sox in such a way that makes me think, how many more of these moments do they have? Because they've had so many already. Uh, you know, beating the Yankees in the wild card game, taking care of the Rays so handily. Uh, Hernandez has been absolutely insane. Kyle Schwarber has had some massive homers. Uh, and like we, we've said, Christian Vasquez has, uh, you know, been all over the place. I wonder do, do you if... Tr- do you trust their lineup? Am I wrong in thinking that they're a little bit, you know, a little bit overblown for where they are right now? Do do you trust those guys? I want to say my gut says no, and um, and then my mind is saying, will it matter? I think that's I think that's the balance I'm trying to strike right now, because it's October, because there are only so many games left. Even if every series goes the full distance, uh, there's there's what there's tonight. So somebody's going to get their heart broken tonight. It's one nothing in the fifth inning right now. Uh, an ALCS game five because of Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, and Chris, uh, Chris Sale, Sale still, a, still in the game. Still in the game, had a massive strikeout to end the inning. Uh, and, you know, so this game, say this series goes seven, say the World Series goes seven. So that gives us what, nine more Red Sox games? Nine and a half? Yeah. I I don't trust this lineup. And I don't know if it matters. I don't know if we need to because you have the likes of. Hernandez, who has been really remarkable all year since, I would say, what, June, probably, uh, who's really turned it on, obviously, in the last few weeks. Um, Devers has had a couple of moments. Devers looks. Devers is the guy to me who is, like, the difference maker. He looks like, you know, the MVP type of guy that you need to have in the middle of your lineup. I mean, against yeah. the Rays especially, but against the, you know, here against Houston, too, like, you cannot pitch around that guy. He is... An absolute stud, and he's you know he's hitting the ball off the wall every time up. Yeah, and you know that that's the thing. Like if you do pitch around him, you're you're getting to these guys who have had moments, and like I just I want to say no, but I I just don't know what to do, and like I I can't imagine a series that is tighter than this one because it's two two. We're halfway through game five. It's one nothing, and we're pointing out all these flaws, and both of these teams are just like still going out and, and really throwing some big punches. So, you know, do either of us trust them? Like, I, if we had to make a call, we're, we're terrible at predictions. We know this. Do, who do you see coming out of this, though? So I trust the Astros' offense. My, you know, my, my vote would be the Astros' offense and the Red Sox pitching. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think, I think my money would be on the Astros just because they've done it so many times before, and the lineup is just is so deep. Now, the... The Red Sox probably have a little bit more pitching, but coming into the playoffs, it was the Red Sox bullpen that felt like the shakiest of almost all playoff units. Like the Red Sox bullpen was very shaky. And the line, the thing about the lineup is you feel like a, le- a good lefty out of the pen could kind of neutralize them a little bit because of Schwarber and Devers and Verdugo, but the Astros don't have that guy. And so while like the, I would give the advantage to the Red Sox pitching because they have, you know, they're getting innings out of sale for once, which is interesting. They have Avaldi, who continues to be good, even if he got beat up the other day in relief. They have Erod. Nick Pavetta has been surprisingly good. Yeah, tell me about but, it. But even with those guys, I I just trust Houston's – It's the way Houston got to Avaldi, that's the thing that gives them the edge for me is I feel like that lineup is so good, and they're so good as a unit at just working pitchings, pitching staffs that I think that they're just going to score runs. And I, and I could see the Red Sox – you know, Kike slows down, Schwarber slows down, and all of a sudden, you know, you really need to rely on the Devers, Bogarts, Verdugo, J.D. Martinez contingent because the bottom half of the lineup isn't great. Vasquez has had big hits, but he's still Christian Vasquez. Christian Arroyo wasn't starting in September 
for this team. They went with Jose Iglesias most of the time, who couldn't be on the playoff roster. And Hunter Renfro has been awful. Dude's yeah. not hitting at all. He's you know hitting oh seventy seven or something. Well, and Renfro's approach always puts him in a position to walk a very very fine line. That when he doesn't walk, it looks like this. So, and uh, he's, he he can mash lefties, but the, the you know we're not the Astros aren't throwing very many lefties, especially out of the pen. It's group of right handers. I mean, he's got Valdez today, but he's not hitting Valdez either. So, right. I mean, my money's on Astros. How do you how would you feel? Where would you go with this team? I think I would go with the Astros too. I think they just have so many legitimate weapons at the plate uh, that they have so many, like you're like you're saying, just so many ways around the lineup. So many guys who can work a count that it's like, you know, we're talking about it being a matter of moments right now in the postseason. Really, you know, the, the Astros lineup sees they can work counts and get pitches to have more chances at that kind of moment. So to have, uh, you know, veterans like Gurriel and Altuve and Correa and Bregman uh, and Brantley complemented by the likes of Tucker and Jordan Alvarez is just like mind blowing for me. Uh, you know, it's just I right? it's very hard to comprehend and I could see them winning out just enough just by the skin of their teeth, which no one will care about because they would be in the World Series. It doesn't matter how many runs you win by. It matters how many games you win over the opponent. Exactly. So. And, and the fact that they get to Eovaldi, like Eovaldi is the guy I trust most. Yep. On Boston's pitching staff, the rest of their bullpen, th- these aren't like battle tested, you know, this isn't even like, you know, Kenley Jansen, like th- these are guys that I feel like you can get to psychologically, even just the way the Astros approach those at bats. It's, you know, Adam Adovino, Garrett Whitlock, Hansel Robles, Ryan Brazier, like they're all fine relievers, like in the, in the regular season, you feel good, you feel fine with that group, but it's, you don't have anybody, you, as you said before, we don't have any of these like, young fireman type who are left Tanner no. Houck is, is trying to audition for that role, but he, you know, and he's actually pitched in relief a fair amount for a guy, his age, who's you know supposed to be a starter, but he is not, I, I don't think exactly that kind of like fireman shut down Armin. So the, the, I don't think the Red Sox have that guy and Garrett Whitlock, who was their best reliever was hurt at the end of the year. Didn't have time to really get himself back. And he's been, yep. he's been vulnerable. He's a, he's a rookie rule five pick. He's throwing a lot of innings this year. He's throwing a lot of innings this year. It was coming off injury, and their Red Sox just got their first hit of the game in the fifth inning, this vaunted offense that we're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, the more I look at these teams, the more I, I just I trust the Astros. As much as I, I, you know, as much as I like Alex Cora as a manager and think he's solid and trust his, he knows his team, um, I, you know, I trust him as a tactician a little bit more than Dusty Baker. Um, but I just think the Astros' offense—they're just going to score runs, and they're well, going to—they're going to get to this team. Cora's had some great management, especially with the bullpen. That—that that could certainly be a Red Sox narrative. But do you think this is Dusty's last chance at like what you know going for a World Series at this point? I think the Astros are his last chance. I don't think this year is his last chance. I mean, I think every indication is ooh, every uh, Jade Martinez just got hit in the, in the foot. That's not great from Valdez. Uh, I think that every indication is that Baker's going to come back at least for another year. I don't think I've heard any rumblings of him retiring, uh, you know, and the Astros, I don't know where they're going to be next year. They did, they definitely could have a, a bit of a step back once they lose Correa to wherever they lose him. Um, you know, we'll see how ready Jeremy Pena is, but you know, the Astros is their fifth straight year in the ALCS. So I'm not going to count them out until they're, until they're out, but, uh, yeah, I think this. I think the Astros are definitely his last his his last chance. I don't see why they couldn't make the playoffs next year if he comes back for another year, and I think he probably will. But I would think I would say that this is probably his you know last best chance is this year when it's a relatively open field, and as you said, like it's kind of a war of attrition at this point. And you know, I don't think McCullers is coming back in the World Series if they make it. It doesn't sound like it. No. But you know, he could theoretically, even if you know. They're looking to patch together like two innings at a time from guys. So they're, you know, pretty desperate for whatever. They could get uh, Rafael Montero back, who maybe helps in the bullpen. I think this is probably their last, Baker's last best chance. And for that reason, it would be pretty cool to see the Astros win it. Like, they, I can get behind them for that reason, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's why I was asking. I think it would be enjoyable to see Dusty Baker win. I think, uh, you know, I really like the young bats. I really like even Michael Brantley uh, and and – See, this is what I'm saying. Like, I like Michael Brantley. I like Alvarez and Tucker and Dusty Baker. 
Uh, and also, like, Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve are, uh, I don't know a polite way to say it, really. Like, they're just, like, they're not fun to cheer for or easy. They're just miserable to see succeeding again. <laughs> but they're so good. They are good. That's the thing. It's, it's I mean, just I'm, a very... I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to turn the page on them. I'm starting to cheer for <laughs> Carlos Correa, future Detroit Tiger. I'm, you know, or, you know, I'm, I'm choosing to choose to root a little bit for Correa because I, I, I have an outside hope that he signs with the Cubs or the Nationals, even though I, I don't think, <laughs> even though I think he's probably a Yankee or a Tiger next year. You know, I just, I hate that. I, I like, I, God, I hate that FS1 even put together that ridiculous, disgusting promo about how the Astros love to be villains and they feed off it yeah. and it inspires them. I'm like, oh, God. I wish they toned that stuff down a little bit because, you know, I wish they would play up the parts that it, that are the other 21 guys on this team. You know, there's only five guys left on the roster from yeah. that from that cheating team. So I wish we'd, you know, but as much as it's hard because of those five guys, four of them are in the starting infield. And so, and so <laughs> they kind of still take prominence here. But I wish we would talk more about Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker, who are amazing hitters and are the future of the Astros but we don't talk about them very much still. And, and, you know, Altuve has been so good in the playoffs. Cray has been so good in the playoffs. Bregman hasn't done as much, but it's, it's, it's hard to look away from those guys. That's, that's true. And they are definitely, you know, they've got an F the world mentality that is working for them. It's hard for it to work for anybody else, but <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to just kind of enjoy the ride with them. This is <coughs> excuse me, like, these are the four teams we have. This is what, who we're stuck with. I'm trying to just kind of enjoy watching them as baseball players because they are really good baseball players, and and you got to give them some credit for their resiliency, even yeah on a long term basis. But also, like Altuve makes that huge error, the Kyle Schwarber grand slam. He's made a bunch of errors at second base in this playoffs, and he just keeps coming up, coming up. He keeps raking, keeps hitting big home runs, hit the game tying home run in the eighth inning last, you know, in game three, and it's it's impressive. It is impressive to see that dude. You know, third all time in playoff home runs. It's got to tip your hat to him at least a little bit here. It is. Uh, nobody, everybody listening can't see my eyes rolling because you're right. And I just, I hate it. It's just not a fun time. Uh, I feel like we've covered a lot of different storylines with these teams. Did we miss anything? Is there any final word on the narrative, the hashtag narrative for the, the four teams left in our championship series? I'm sure there. I'm sure there. I'm sure we missed some things, but I think that the that the main thing. I mean, you you said it. I think it's just the war of attrition. It's you know which of these four pitching staffs is going to survive because that's what we talked about with all four of them. Is you know who do they have left to pitch in these final couple of games? Who are they going to get big innings from? And I'm really fascinated to see it just because it's those you know inning to inning matchups. Like I know it's the it's the part of baseball that can sometimes frustrate people when we have six pitching changes or eight pitching changes in a nine yeah. inning game, but. I love those games. I love seeing the, the different arms come in, seeing who's going to give it the big hit. And that's exactly where we are now. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show So that really puts us in a good spot to move into this week in baseball, knowing that every out is precious. Really, every move is precious, and, and teams are making them already because, uh, you know, the Yankees, they signed Aaron Boone for three years. How do you feel about that when that came I'm up across your I'm a little surprised, honestly. I, I mean, I know that internally they feel a lot better about Boone than, than the public sentiment. 
Uh, I guess I was a little bit surprised to see the three-year extension. I mean, I, I know his contract was up, so you, you're not just going to sign him to a one-year deal. you got to either commit or not. Um, but internally, you know, the Steinbrenners like him. <clears throat> I, I wouldn't say that I watch enough Yankees games to have a, a strong sense of how he is tactically. I know that he rubs people the wrong way. His personality rubs people the wrong way on the outside. Um, and they haven't won with him, so... Is he the right guy? I don't know. And for the most part, people change managers too frequently. So I guess good for sticking with the guy that they like. I, I don't know. How do you feel? Do you, do you like Boone? Uh, I don't dislike him. I think managers are way more important than many people give them credit for. But I don't think that Aaron Boone has done anything terribly offensive. I just think it's really hard to be really good at baseball. I think that, that the expectations set upon the Yankees by their fans are unrealistic and don't account for how far baseball has come beyond them happening to have generational players when the league was much smaller and the playoffs only consisted yeah. of the World Series, right? Like, I, I, he's fine. You could have worse managers. You could have, you know, you could have Joe Girardi right, right now, and that would be I mean, a nightmare. It's still winning uh, season after winning season. <laughs> you could still, have they're still making guys. the playoffs. Even, I mean, the divisions, yeah. the division is a nightmare. I mean, put them in a different division and they're winning it. So, yeah, what do they look like coming out of the NL Central? They have more than the the ninety four wins that the White Sox had, or ninety three wins they had, right? Like, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to yeah. argue with the results. I mean, and it's not like the the you know they haven't had their share of injuries, and the pitching staff has been all over the place. And I guess yeah. it seems like he's been doing fine. So good on him for for being the guy there for a little while longer. Yeah, we can go elsewhere in the city and see that Billy Bean has withdrawn his name from consideration for the Mets president of baseball operations job. Uh, and that the Mets were also denied permission to speak to David Stearns of the Brewers. Uh, <laughs> is there anything to do but kind of like laugh as long as you're not a Mets fan? And if you are a Mets fan, I guess sigh. I mean, if you're a Mets fan, yeah, you have to sigh a little bit. But I also feel like this is overblown. This is like not really news to me. Like Bean... Yeah, it feels like maybe the time is right to poach him, but it's not like it was a shoe-in or it's not like they are, should be insulted by Billy Bean not leaving. He hasn't left for any team. He's been with the A's forever. And the fact that he hasn't, you know, didn't go to the Mets isn't exactly a slap in the face to the Mets. Same with David Stearns. David Stearns was not going to leave the Brewers. Like, good on him for, for reaching out and trying to get him, you know, reach for the stars. Mets, go for it. But they weren't ever going to get these guys. And they're not going to get Theo. And but these are just the names that people know. Like nobody knew David Stern's name before he took over the Brewers. They just had the the Mets had to find the right guy. But these guys were never it. So I I don't think this is quite the slap in the face that that people are making it out to be. I do think that the Mets are beginning to look like they're grasping at straws a little bit, and they need to kind of like have some thoughts of their own and not just go out and get the biggest names and keep asking after the biggest names like. I don't know what they're doing internally, obviously, but it feels like they yeah. don't really have a process for like, you know, what's our short list of, of, of guys who we have a realistic no, shot at getting that, and not just going for the, the names that their fans are going to know. But also like, that's such, so what the Mets have done for the last decade. And as we're talking, uh, it looks like the Fox broadcast caught uh, a flashlight shining in, in some parts of Fenway during the bottom of the inning uh, where oh, it should not have been shining. So they had to, uh, stop play to get them to turn it off that's a side note to maybe monitor moving forward knowing uh the recent history of the astros and uh, uh, the worst that we have to be talking about uh, that like can at the very least can we just like yep can you just play play the game like dude that's awful. what i'm saying there are so many likable reasons to watch them and so many that just make me want to just like god why couldn't the yeah. other teams have won i know uh, anyway, the Mets are also considering extending Javi Baez. Is that a, a move you would make if you were them? It's a move I would explore if I were them, honestly. Like, I wouldn't pay him $200 million. He is uh, a frustrating player. He's an enigmatic player, but he is no doubt, you know, skilled, and he is no doubt flawed. He's a great clubhouse guy, you know, as much as, there, you know, there was the thumbs down thing. But, you know, that aside, he's a like fans love that dude. And they will love that dude in New York. And he took ownership over that whole thing. And he's a guy that you, that is, you know, best buds with Lindor, who's your franchise center centerpiece. So, and he protects you against the Lindor injury because he can play short as well as Lindor can. And there aren't very many guys who can do that. So, and he gives them stellar defense up the middle at the, at the worst, you have an incredible defensive middle infield. 
And dude is power. Dude has big time power. He's had many, many good years in this sport. He does strike out way too much. I would not want to sign him to a six year, you know, $150 million deal. If they can get him for something reasonable over three years, you know, I'd maybe go four with him. Then I actually think, yeah, it's a fine thing to explore and they can, they can then move around some of their other guys or move some of those pieces. I think he does kind of make sense for that roster. It's just the, it's just the thing that has always been the case with Javi going back to when he was with the Cubs is the price point. How much, how much is a contract with Javi Baez going to command? And that's kind of the whole deal with him. You want him on your team. You don't want him to be paid like one of your premier players. Cause he's not going to, he can't be one of your three or four best players. Yeah, I agree. And that really does put, uh, I, I don't know. It would also be a Mets thing to be like, well, we got yeah. Lindor's best friend. And oh, I don't, I don't know. I, I, uh, let's move on from the Mets. The Blue Jays are expected to raise some payroll. And there might be, I think it was Jared Seidler of, of BP, one of their uh, prospect guys, or I, I might be mixing names with uh, a Phillies prospect person. Uh, but noting that, I think it was Jared uh, saying that uh, Mark Shapiro has been pretty close in terms of negotiating uh, CBA stuff in the past. So he said they'd be fine. Uh, the team's expected to raise payroll. That might have some implications for the CBA coming up this, this winter. Uh, how do you feel about both of those things, potential CBA implications and the Blue Jays adding money I mean, the to CBA their is, payroll? is everything. <clears throat> I mean, we don't know anything until that comes through. That's going to be a mess of a negotiation, and we just don't know how it's going to go or what direction it's going to go. And until we do, it's really hard to speculate on really any roster movement because we don't know how much they're going to really try to change the current system. That said, the Blue Jays, yeah, they said they were going to expand payroll. They said that's the plan. Uh, Their payroll was, I think, 156 million or something like that last year. So they they have also said that they don't plan to exceed the luxury tax right now. And again, we don't know what that number is going to be. It was 210 million this year. So, you know, we can speculate that it'll be around that or 212 million or something like that. If it's, if it's going to stay, if they're going to keep a similar system, we don't know that. Um, but that gives us a pretty clear idea of where the Blue Jays are going to be. They're going to be between 160 and, you know, 200 million, 210 million. And I, and that doesn't give them, that gives them some wiggle room because they're at about 114 million right now for their current roster uh, with arbitration projections for the guys who are under team control. But they also have big-time free agents, right? Robbie Ray, Stephen Matz, Marcus Simeon. They're going to command big-time money. I can see why Simeon would want to come back. I can see why they would want to bring Simeon back. But they have Aurelvis Martinez coming up through the system who, you know, he won't be able to step in now, but he's 19 years old and, and, and he's in double-A. I mean, there's room for him and Simeon for both those guys, you know, moving Bishu around. But I, I just don't think that Simeon is like the – their biggest need right now. They do need to add some more arms and they're going to have to spend some money to keep these guys because it's only going to get harder as Bobachette and Vladimir Guerrero start to pay long-term money. Jose Barrios has one more year on his deal. So at some point they're going to have to pay the guys who are on that roster now who are still under team control. And those guys are going to command big time money. So if they're going to stay competitive, like right now this team looks really good because they have all these young guys who are cheap, but the young guys are getting older. And if they're going to stay competitive in this division, they're going to have to spend money to, to fill out the rest of the roster. Yeah. You know, you make a good point that to keep any bit of this team around, it, it's going to raise payroll naturally. And I wonder how much the, they're actually going to raise payroll as much as they're just going to move with it, right? Like where the payroll would be going anyway. Uh, so I'm curious about that, but I'm happy to at least hear it that they're going. To, they have very, uh, just about as explicit as you can be intentions of keeping these guys around. So I think that's a really uh, overall positive, even if it does make the AL East more of a nightmare for the Yankees and the other teams in it. Uh, good for baseball, I think for sure. And I, I guess one last note: the Brewers fired their hitting coach in Andy Haynes. Uh, they will probably not keep around their assistant hitting coach. These guys get turned over. Um, I, I don't know. What do you, what do you think of the Brewers making this kind of move? Because they seem to work so well around the edges yeah, of the roster. Yeah, I guess it's fine. I mean, all the hitting coaches will change. They're, and they, especially in the NL Central, they just seem to rotate, go from team to team. You know, Haynes came from the Cubs originally, and and. It just seems like these guys just kind of move around. I mean, the the Nats guy, Kevin Long, was just signed by the Phillies, which is kind of hilarious. Darnell Coles, who was with the Brewers before, 
he went back to the he went to the Nats. So it, it's good to have fresh voices. Um, I always feel like it's a little bit of um, like blame placing or something when when a hidden coach gets fired. It's not like he chose the roster, and you know, Craig Council isn't going to fire himself, and nor should he be fired. So that you know, they like to see some movement, I guess. And and it is important to have some different voices. Ultimately, I feel like this is one of those things in baseball that like, oh, it matters a ton, but also it doesn't matter at all. And we don't, we don't, we're not, we're never yeah. really going to know like where on the spectrum that lands. It's all kind of, you know, internal politicking that, that we don't really have any access to. For sure. And, you know, that'll really put us in a good spot to wrap up this week. So TC, where can we find you online and, and what are you up to lately? Usual spots. Come get me on Twitter. I'm uh, trade rumors. Uh, I'll be gone actually for a couple of weeks. Um, but I'll be following, following, uh, you know, the last couple of rounds of the playoffs. Uh, my wife is having surgery in California. So we're going to San Diego for a little bit and, uh, you know, I'll be checking back in on Twitter and then trade rumors and a picture list, uh, probably right around the end of the world series. Uh, when we are back, uh, two weeks from now, which will be, yeah. uh, post post world series, right? World Series will be done by then. Uh, I think it'll have just, we'll be right at the yeah, edges. So that's of very it, exciting. Yep. Very excited to that conversation. Very much looking forward to that conversation, chatting again after all this madness plays out and we can actually, uh, you know, spec, you know, <laughs> rehash what, how and why it all went down. Yeah, I, uh, I hope so too. Uh, th- that's going to be a good time. We'll, we'll look. We we obviously wish the best for you guys out on your trip, and uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing back from you. Uh, you can find me at uh, Baseball Prospectus doing uh, some playoff work right now, actually, and uh, some fantasy freestyles in the near future. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tim Jackson Says. You can find the pod at Breaking Pod PL, and you can email us at BreakingPodPL at gmail.com. You can always uh, rate rate us five stars. Leave a nice comment. That does a ton for us. You guys have no idea. We really appreciate that. And, um, you know, we had a great time catching up. We can't wait to do it again. We hope you guys have the best couple of weeks ever. And then we'll talk to you next time. We'll see you then, everybody.